White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. And it's pretty deep out and left, and this ball is gone. How about that? How about that timing? <laughs> this presentation of the ESPN 1000 Chicago White Sox Network is brought to you by Wintrust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. And now, here are your hosts, Fred Huebner and Jeff Meller. Welcome on in to another edition of White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I am Jeff Meller alongside Fred Hubner, and we're here for you. 312-332-3776 if you'd like to talk anything and all things White Sox. We're here every Saturday, two hours prior to the pregame show getting underway. Today, of course, the White Sox will be taking on the Indians in an afternoon affair First pitch at 3.05, Fred, and the White Sox had their two-game win streak snapped last night as they went up against the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner in Shane Bieber. Yeah, and uh, they actually made him work a little bit. They made him work. Uh, got three runs off him, seven hits. He did strike out 11, but you know what? They couldn't touch the bullpen. Um, they could not touch uh, Cleveland's bullpen with Shaw and Karinchek and also Class A throwing 100-mile-an-hour 100, 100 cutters. And um, yeah, they need to uh, step up and get to them. When, when you when you do score three runs off Bieber, you like to get a victory. And you look at it; he's only three and two. So people have beaten him before in yeah. the past. The uh, the White Sox certainly made Shane Bieber work more than most folks are able yep. to. Because again, Shane Bieber is just absolutely dominant. I would say it's him or Garrett Cole in terms of the best starters in the American League. Well, they now, they pitched against each other last week, didn't they? I think that uh, did they? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you may be yeah. right. Yeah, they went I mean, against each other. So, and I don't think there's any debate right now. They are the two best in the American League. However, I'm going with Carlos Rodon. You know what? <laughs> it is something that we can certainly sure. open our minds to the possibility. I need to see a few more starts and maybe a couple months of continuing this run. But yeah. if he continues along this path. There will certainly be the idea that the guy who was drafted third overall has finally unlocked his potential. That's not out of the possibilities, I don't think. But as a whole, Fred, the White Sox starting rotation has the best ERA in the American League. And we were talking last week on White Sox Weekly a lot about how I'm encouraged by this White Sox team. I think they had finally, like last week, they had finally got above 500 right. and were turning the corner. And it seemed to me, and I pointed out run differential and how I thought all these were good indicators for the White Sox to continue their success. And when you look at how dominant the starting rotation has been and the fact that they've done this with Dylan Cease having a few hiccups, although he had a great start his last yes, time he out. Did. We will actually be talking with Dylan Cease later in the show. Expect to hear from him in the 1 o'clock hour, along with Scott Merkin, who will join us at 1 o'clock. He covers the White Sox for MajorLeagueBaseball.com. He'll join us as well. So we'll have plenty to do here on White Sox Weekly. And, of course, we have another edition of Connor Asks. He'll give us his question of the day. So we'll uh, bat that around. And again, your calls, 312-332-3776. Every week, your chance to talk anything and everything White Sox here on White Sox Weekly. So if you could go, so right now, April's over. Yep. It's May 1st. If you could go three games over 500 for every month, is that enough? So let's see, three. So you go three up in May, three up in June, three up in July, three up in August. So that's, you're, you're 15 games over 500. Yes. That's enough to get you where you would need to be, right? I would, I would say you would I be would think, perfectly happy with yeah. Three games over, and the, the. But again, like I look at it, and, and at this point, you've stabilized the rotation. Is the one thing where 
I don't think anybody really is concerned about the lineup, right? That that we came in. Not most of the lineup. I mean, and so as a whole, though, when you look at the White Sox lineup from top to bottom and you compare them amongst all of baseball, it's pretty hard to say there's not too ma- there's not too many lineups you would take over the White Sox. I wouldn't maybe think a so. Couple, maybe yeah. a couple. But honestly, the White Sox are amongst the top lineups in baseball. That's undeniable. And yeah, when you have when you have guys like Mercedes and Robert hitting <laughs> hitting hitting deep, you know, five and seven in your lineup, um, and Grandal, you would think will eventually start hitting the ball a little bit better. He has not as of yet, but you would think he'd eventually start hitting the ball. And Robert, I think, you know, after being away for a few, little while, he he had a couple of hits yesterday. I think that uh, they're as deep as you can be. And who knows if you know? Obviously. Uh, Mercedes isn't going to be a 400 hitter, sure, but he's still. It's so much fun watching him adjust with two strikes and everything else he's able to do. Abreu's Mokata is starting to hit the ball a little bit better. Tim Anderson, after striking out five times, he had a couple of hits yesterday, a couple more stolen bases. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be excited as a Sox fan that as the weather gets warmer, Abreu always gets better when the weather gets warmer, and some of these other te- players do too. No, there's absolutely no doubt about it. And you said that you you mentioned that. Tim Anderson had another couple strikeouts. The yep. reality is, and I don't know if people understand this right now, because it sometimes gets lost until you really drill down and look at the numbers. But right now, across baseball, hitters are striking out 24.5%. That's yeah. one in every four at-bats. That's crazy. All hitters yeah. in all of baseball are striking out one out of every four times. It's, you know, so you see guys, you, you may see your team strike out double digits routinely and it's not good no but all i'm saying is i think we're still in the midst of reframing how we look at box scores and understand the strikeout numbers and say you know if a guy strikes out three times back in the day you'd lose your mind you'd be like dude you got to get you got to get some bat on the bat on the ball there Uh a little little more contact please however across baseball you know and i feel like sometimes i'm a broken record repeating myself the reality is, it's so difficult now to hit pitchers with what they bring at you, the filthy sliders, that and I'm not saying it's acceptable because you're always trying to get the bat on the ball. But the reality is when you look across the league and the average hitters out there, it is very difficult not to strike out one out of every four times. And so when Tim Anderson and Luis Robert are hitting above 300, you know, I'm just saying you they can be forgiven for striking out more than the hitters that we're used to. It, it's just a different baseball game, and I still think we're, I'll admit, at least myself, I'm still catching up with the way I read a box score and understanding what I'm seeing and how often guys are striking out these days. Here's the question, though, and if everybody wants to jump in, three one two three three two three seven seven six. It's a different baseball, but is it a better baseball? Well. Because we're seeing strikeouts at a ridiculous rate. Like you said, it's gone from like 16% to 24, almost 25%, 24-5. You can round it up to 25%, so one out of every four guys striking out, and it's crazy. But then you see guys like, okay, you see Madrigal. He has three strikeouts. <laughs> He's, okay, in seventy six at bats. He, and, you know what? He is the definition of a unicorn these yeah. days. And your mean Mercedes has just twelve and eighty two at bats. Okay, um, he doesn't strike out either because these guys uh, they adjust with two strikes. They figure out put the ball in play. And I've talked to other people, and they say the problem is players don't get paid for putting the ball in play. They get paid for hitting home runs. 
and these guys are going to go and hit the home run, hit the long ball, try and try and do those things. And because of the three true outcomes and all that stuff, I know Connor McKnight was trying to explain it to DJ a week or so ago mm-hmm. about the three true outcomes. And when there was a strikeout, DJ said, "There's another one." Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I I don't like the home run or nothing. And unfortunately, we're getting to see too much of that. I love. There's nothing better than seeing a gapper off the bat of Luis Robert or Juan Moncada, and they're getting a tear around the bases. That's mm-hmm. what I enjoy seeing. Well. And, it, and it's great, and hopefully we'll see a lot more of that. No, yes, I agree with you in terms of, like, the brand of baseball, aesthetically pleasing. It is always, I think, it's very difficult to argue if you grew up and watched baseball in the 70s, 80s, 90s. In some ways, that certainly was more pleasurable to watch. Sure. But it doesn't mean that this game is not fun to watch. It's just, it, there's... It, it's, it's different. It's difficult it's different for watch. players to adapt, yeah. and we're going through that process as we speak. I do think that hitters will continue to attempt to make the adjustments. Just saying, though, that this may be a bigger baseball issue where the league needs to step in. And I don't know if you saw this, too. The batting average, the league-wide batting average, Fred, across baseball. Is it 220, 230? I, I believe it's 232. Okay. The lowest ever. Yeah. Oh, sure. The lowest batting average in the history of baseball. And that's not – so strikeouts are certainly part of that. Yeah. But also – the batting average in balls in play is also around 282, 283 right now, which is a lot lower than you're traditionally expecting to see. For a long time, it was expected that if you put the ball in play, 300 was going to be right. the batting average of balls in play. But because of shifts, now more balls in play result in more outs than they used to. And so it's just been a vicious cycle for hitters. All this is a long roundabout way of saying, Fred, that Shane Bieber striking out 11 in six innings when he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, it's not as bad as it may look, at least in terms of what you're used to. Tim Anderson actually spoke about embracing the challenge of facing somebody like Shane Bieber yesterday. Them the moments you want to be in, those guys you want to face. Um, you know, like I said, uh, you know, we, we plan on playing, you know, all the way to October. So, um, those those are the kind of pitches that we're gonna have to face. So uh, you know why not, why not compete against them? You know early on in the year, and uh, you know give it our best shot. And uh, we did that tonight. And uh, you know hopefully we can continue to keep building off of that, and uh, you know go from there. You gotta love that attitude yeah, from him, definitely. And, and that's the one thing. And anybody that's listened to me in over the years, I, I was critical of Tim Anderson when he first came here. It's taken a while for him to get to the point he's at. He won the batting title two years ago in the American League. He won the Silver Slugger his position last year, and you see what he's been able to do. He's improving his fielding. He wants to go on out there. He knows he wants this team to get to the playoffs year in year out. They got there last year. Uh, in the uh, 60 game season, he wants to get there. He wants to face the best. He wants to be the best, and uh, that's that's what you want for your shortstop. No doubt about it. Now, Shane Bieber is clearly the creme de la creme when it yeah. comes to striking out hitters. Conversely, he was going up against a guy who actually bucks the trend. He's one of the few starting pitchers in baseball who does not strike out everybody. And Dallas Keuchel actually did pitch a pretty good ball game, but. It did come unravel for him. It did unravel for him in the third. Outside of some lost feel in the third inning, I think you know we come out of that game with a win. But can't do that in the in the big leagues, and you know I paid the price for it, and ultimately we lost. So um, you know, as much as I I uh, felt good tonight, it was just you know very frustrating there for about ten, twelve pitches. 
in the in the third. So that was it. It just seemed like I was doing everything. I was probably subconsciously thinking about making making a quality pitch behind the count too much. So nights like tonight when it's really chilly and and you're not trying to stay out there very long, you honestly doing a lot more in between innings, trying to keep your body loose and, and warm so that way you don't do anything stupid on the mound and, and have to come out of the game. But um, you know, after that I just told myself, hey, we got it. we we scratched a few runs across on Bieber and um, we we still got a shot at this thing, so I'm gonna I'm gonna attack the zone more so than I usually do, and you know, I was very fortunate to, to go through six, but but very frustrating at the same time. He still gave yeah. you a, a you know it wasn't a quality start, but I would say it was a quality effort. One tough inning gives you six innings, four earned runs, did strike out four, but again in this day and age, that's actually you know amongst the low side when you're talking about yeah. starting pitching and the four walks too. I mean sure. that that's that's not you you can't do that. You can't be, be putting guys on base, especially when you're a control pitcher. You're not a guy that's going to be you know like you said striking out you know striking out ten. That's not going to happen. He has the guys put the ball in play. And um, you've got to do that. And he, he he said it. He had tended. That, that's the strange part about it. Okay, he threw eighty five pitches. Yep. He said everything was good except that little stretch of ten to twelve pitches. Ten to twelve pitches cost him him this him to win the White Sox the game. And it all comes down to that. Every each and every each and every inning, the guy goes out there. He can lose the thing, and it, and it happens quite often. Unfortunately, they, he hasn't gotten a lot of luck this year. They so all far. can't be eleven to nothing laughers, Fred, like they were uh, the previous day against well, the Tigers. It all depends. Would, Whenever you play the Tigers, you can get it. I know the Tigers. They went. They got shut out again last night. I think by uh, the by the Yankees. Well, I mean, listen, it was three to one uh, in their their second game of the doubleheader, so it wasn't right. you know it wasn't a complete uh, laugh for all day long. But uh, the White Sox again on the, on the whole here. We're talking about, you know, as I, I quickly look through it, they are eight and three in their last eleven. There you go, and fourteen and eleven on the season. And as you mentioned, when all is said and done, right now they're three games above five hundred. And you look at the advanced numbers; the lineup looks great. The starting rotation is the best in the American League, and the bullpen I do think is coming together and has the potential to be excellent as well. They've had some hiccups. I do think, I hope at least, that they will get those straightened out. They have enough quality arms in the bullpen for, I think, them to be counted as amongst the best in baseball. Yep. And so when you when you lay that out, it's very difficult to find a weakness on this Sox roster for a team that is currently in second place in the American League Center. Yeah, and we're talking about the starting rotation, and Lance Lynn gets back out there, and then you also look at, what Michael Kopech's been able to do coming out of the bullpen and getting mm-hmm. spot starts here and there and what he's been able to do. And that's been absolutely amazing. And, and Garrett Crochet down right now a little bit on the injured list um, with some, a back problem, and hopefully he can come back and everything will be well there. But you're right. They have the arms, and they know they're not pitching the way they should. Aaron Bummer has said, we're, you know, the guys are hitting the ball. Starting pitcher's great. Us as the bullpen, we're expected to do better, and we've got to do it and step it up really soon. So I gave you all that. We've been talking about where the White Sox are. Let's let uh, Tim Anderson have the final word here on the segment about where he thinks the team is after just one month. Uh, I think we're in a great spot. You know, consider what you know. Um, consider missing Eloy and uh, you know missing missing a couple guys. Engle. Um, I think we're in a great spot. Um, you know, a lot of guys have stepped up. Uh, you know, kudos to Yerm. He stepped up, and uh, you know. He's been a, he's been huge, you know, to this lineup, and uh, he's continued to do it every night. So, um, 
you know, I think the first month was was a good one. Hopefully we continue to build off this and, uh, you know, learn from, you know, from my mistakes uh, on this first month. And, uh, you know, hopefully next month be a lot cleaner and, uh, you know, hopefully be better. A lot of positives to take, to take for the White Sox as yep. a whole when you look at where they're at after one month of the 21 season. Your 2021 Chicago White Sox are presented by Guaranteed Rate. Learn how you can turn your belief in a new home into action at rates.com. If you believe, you will. And to get priority ticket access this season, secure a ticket package today by visiting whitesocks.com. Your mean Mercedes. Yes. Unbelievable. I'm looking at the numbers he has. Do you know he's got more more hits for a rookie in the March-April season than anybody's ever had? I did not. Yeah. I did not. He he continues to uh, basically leave render you speechless. It, it's the highest the, the highest total ever for, for I'm sorry for a White Sox rookie. Okay, but still okay. thirty four. Sure. Okay, you know he the only one that had more than that was Jose Abreu in twenty fourteen when he went on to be the rookie of the year. So we will continue to talk about thirty four hits. That's uh, not too shabby. Sweetness is number. Um, yes, it is. Uh, a, uh, Cap- <laughs> Thanks, Captain Obvious. I'm Jeff Meller, Captain Obvious, along with Fred Hubner here on White Sox Weekly ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Up next, we will give you where exactly your mean Mercedes is hitting in today's lineup. We'll also talk about a decision that the skipper, Tony La Russa, made in pinch hitting for one of his prized rookies. We'll talk about that next right here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Yes! Yes! Hell yes! Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. We're here every Saturday afternoon, two hours prior to the White Sox pregame that day. Of course, today we've got a 2.30 pre with a uh, 3.05 first pitch as the White Sox will take on the Cleveland Indians at guaranteed rate field. Lance Lynn returns from the injured list after a spout with some uh, right trapezius soreness. So he will be back on the mound, which is good news, obviously, because he's been excellent for yeah. the Sox. And usually when you know that Lance Lynn's going, you usually know your bullpen just has to be ready for the 7th, 8th, and ninth. Yeah. Because you're getting innings, and that's one of the reasons uh, Rick Hahn went out and got got him. He's an innings eater. He's a guy that loves being out there, and hopefully it, uh, you know, coming back off the I.L. And he, he planned this. From the time they went on the injury list, they were looking forward to coming back this weekend, so he gets to face them on a warm day. It's supposed to be sometime along the day. It's supposed to be in the eight, near 80 degrees. Yeah, no, the uh, forecast looks beautiful. Looks like there could be some wind. Uh-huh. You know, it could be a heavy wind day, so we will see how that unfolds as we get a little closer to game time. But, uh, yeah, good day for Lance Lynn to return to the mound. Hey, anytime Lance Lynn is returning to the mound, I believe, is probably a good day for sure. White Sox fans. We mentioned that the uh, White Sox will be taking on the Indians. They started their series against the Indians yesterday. 5-3 loss. Shane Bieber gets the win, as we've talked about a lot here. But the critical move, Fred, came when Tony La Russa, You know what? Before we get into that, I do want to play Andrew Vaughn has talked about getting more comfortable lately. Maybe, you know, he was asked yesterday in the pregame, you know, have you been, you know, was it nerves? Because you're starting, you're making your major league debut. Yep. I have to imagine that uh, they play a role when you finally get to make your debut. Yeah, I think at first definitely it's, you're on the big stage. And uh, 
haven't really been on that stage before, and I definitely was pressing a little hard, um, trying to create a result instead of just going out and having fun and playing the game that I love that I've been playing since I was a little kid. So uh, I had to take a step back and just slow it down and just be myself. So Vaughn had talked about pregame, how he finally is feeling a little more comfortable, which is certainly understandable. Anything new in anything you do in life is going to take a little time to kind of adjust. But it looks like, you know, after the three-hit day against the Tigers, yeah, and, second you know, game the second of the game doubleheader, double header, yep. that he might finally, finally be finding his rhythm. But after struggling a little bit last night, he came up with an opportunity to do some damage and, well, wait, wait, wait. He didn't come up for No, it. he didn't. The skipper, Tony La Russa, decided he was not the best man for the job and decided to pinch hit Larry Garcia. This is Tony La Russa expounding on why he did that. Well, you're balancing right there, you know, with uh, a young player like Vaughn. And, but I pinched it for him before. I mean, our club worked so hard to get back in there. And uh, especially once Robert let off, you know, their pitcher, Class A, uh, Garcia, uh, was a good shot, put the ball in play. So, I mean, the way I look at it, too, Andrew, Andrew started the game. And look where, he, you know, he started the game. So, evidently, there's a lot of confidence in him. But at, at that point, you don't want to walk in the clubhouse without taking your best shot. The team deserved it. That was it at the end, though, without taking your best shot. How do you feel about that? I don't necessarily – I thought I was going to disagree with him, but I understand his his breakdown. Like he said, Vaughn had a chance. He, he struck out twice in the game. He did start the game, so it's not like he didn't have confidence in him. But if he would have done this with Lurie Garcia three games ago, I would have been bummed out. But he's doing it after Garcia went, what, three for five with, with – or three for six with five RBIs mm-hmm. in, a, in his last couple of games. So he's been able to drive in some runs. He's been able to get put his bat on the ball. And Larry Garcia is a guy that has been around, and he just keeps stepping up and doing the job. Now, granted, he's not going to – He's not going to be near a 300 hitter, but he got he's gotten big hits for the team recently. Maybe Larusa thinks, listen, he's hot. Let's put him in. Let's get him in. Let's just get the because they had a guy on base. Unfortunately, they were unable to to move the guys around and, mm-hmm. and, and get a couple of runs in there in the ninth inning. But I, I thought I would be more against it. But listening to his explanation, I kind of understand it. Yeah, I've seen a lot of White Sox fans have uh, come to some issues with the manager. And it seems like now it, it, it feels like it's building. I feel like this is more a result of the Billy Hamilton exercise that happened a few days back. Well, that and the whole Giolito thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, the combination. Having Giolito in where apparently, G, you know, not apparently, but Giolito said one thing and then LaRusa didn't know about this and, yeah. and everything else. So. Yeah, so that's, I, I, it does feel like right now Tony LaRusa seems to be the biggest he's in the crosshairs for white Sox fans if you want to talk about what has white Sox white Sox fans most upset right now just um completely unscientific poll my anecdotal evidence suggests to me that la Russa seems to be the biggest issue that white Sox fans have right now but that's what managers do uh, man- managers get that on a daily basis think about all the decisions and if you ever get a chance to read the book the la Russa book and i'm still about a third uh, halfway through it called three nights in august mm-hmm. The decisions that happen just 
every pitch when a guy's going to the plate, how you how you set the lineup up, how you how you battle each you know prepare for each little situation in games. It's amazing what goes through their head. And you know if Garcia gets a hit, we're not we're not talking about that. Mm-hmm. You know Vaughn was over three. Garcia gets the hit. They continued and they end up winning the game. It unfortunately was not to be, and it didn't work out. So they it's their up. You know they got 162 games. They take the chances. The question is at the end of the year did it. Did did your changes work more than they didn't work? Yeah. And if they didn't, then you may not be around for long. That's basically the gig yeah. as a manager. That's you're what going it is. to be criticized when your moves don't work. Yeah. This is White Sox Weekly. Let's pause 10 seconds for our stations to identify themselves on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. The home of the White Sox is also the home of Carmen and Yurko. Weekdays 10 to noon on ESPN 1000, WMVP Chicago. Back here on White Sox Weekly, I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. Bring home a part of White Sox history. Commemorate Carlos Rodon's first career no-hitter with a limited edition ticket. On sale now through May 2nd. Visit whitesox.com slash no-hitter to purchase yours today. When we come back, we will be talking with Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox for MLB.com. We'll ask him what he thought of Tony LaRusso's decision to pinch it for Andrew Vaughn yesterday and how he feels about where the White Sox are at at 14 and 11 after the month of April. Don't go anywhere. This is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Yes! Yes! Hell yes! Sox fans, catch the action from a private diamond suite this season. Hosts closest friends and family with customizable food and beverage options. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com today. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner here on White Sox Weekly. Every Saturday afternoon, two hours prior to White Sox pregame, we have the White Sox and Indians with a 2.30 pregame, a 3.05 start today at Guaranteed Rate Field. I'm Jeff along with Fred and it is now our pleasure to bring in a man who covers the White Sox on a daily basis for MLB.com. He is my second favorite Merkin. He is Scott Merkin. Of course, my first is Jeff Merkin because we go. share the same name. Let's bring in Scott who covers the White Sox. Scotty, what do you think about Tony LaRusso's decision to go ahead and pinch hit for Andrew Vaughn? You, you of course, heard Tony's explanation yesterday in the postgame show. Thoughts uh, about turning to Larry Garcia late in the game last night? I first have to say that I'm also my second favorite Merkin in my family behind <laughs> probably my mom would be number one, I think. And then, you know, it, it goes from there. You know, I think um, it was an interesting decision, obviously, you know, and he has his method behind it. I, I think one of, I, I understand that like a win on April 30th is important as a win on September 24th or a win on, you know, August 19th. And I, I look at it two ways. I don't think you can absolutely micromanage every single move that's made every single game over 162 game season, you know, mm-hmm. on one hand. So he's, you know, he's, he's making the move he feels is right at the time. And it's funny because a lot of the complaints you see about Tony right now are some of the same complaints you saw about Ricky Renteria last year. So maybe it's just, you know, inherent on the job there that you just can't please anyone. You can't please everyone. I'm sorry. On the other hand, I think, you know, Andrew Vaughn is a featured part of that team. There's no question. I mean, one of the good things for Andrew Vaughn is he's not the featured part. He's one of, you know, seven, eight strong, off nine probably, if you go top to bottom right now, strong offensive components. But I think he's got to, you know, learn in those situations and he's got to be able to handle those situations. And 
I, I do believe that there's a look to winning each day, but there's also a look at the bigger picture, like in the August and in September, and have these guys ready. You know, Tony Lewis has talked a number of times about every time these young relievers uh, go out there, it's kind of like a deposit in the bank in tough situations that they can, you know, put in their mind come September, come they hope October. So I, I, I get both sides of it. I get the frustration from fans who, you know, want to see Vaughn play every day. They want to see Nick Madrigal play every day. I get Tony LaRusso making the moves he feels he needs at that time to, to win the game. And, you know, I don't think anyone knows for sure what the right decision is. If you did, you know, you'd be, you'd have 20 World Series championships or you'd, you know, go 140 and 22 or something like that. So it, it's kind of a, a weird thing to kind of argue on both sides. But the, the biggest thing is, if you're playing to get to October, you better get to October, right? I mean, we all know that if the team does not make the playoffs this year, it's a disappointment for this team because they're that good. You mentioned strong offensive components, and one that's not there right now is Yasmani Grandal. He's hitting, he struck out three times yesterday. He's hitting 127. Do you think a lot of this is from the slow start he had in, in the spring because of injuries and not being able to get things started, or is that just an excuse and probably one he wouldn't use? Yeah, this is a guy, you know, when you talk to him and you listen to him, he's, he's a, um, a good talker, and you can see that he kind of gets the whole picture and he knows what's going on. I remember, I, I know this because I wrote this, you know, 15 times during spring training. <laughs> he suffered the knee injury, twisted his knee on February 24th in a running drill. And, you know, had his time in spring training. It wasn't like he played one game and had five at-bats, but not as much as others. And he was also, as he told us recently, kind of on a catching schedule, you know, to to where he, you know, was kind of limited at the start of April and now is getting more, I think he said four times a week. Now he can be behind the plate or something along those lines. So he also mentioned to us at the end of spring training that he wasn't worried about a slow start because he knew the offense would get there eventually. So I think, you know, it's going to, he's going to find his level that he's had his whole career. I think the same could be said for Jose Abreu. He had a, he had a, you know, a rare slow month here in April I think as the weather warms up, which is starting today, going tomorrow, and, you know, we'll just hopefully progressively, you know, at least in Chicago by June, we'll have good weather, right? So <laughs> I, I think as that goes, guys will start hitting a little more who aren't hitting right now, and you hope the guys who are hitting stay at that same level. I, I mean, another thing is, like, you know, I think there's less designated hitter at bats where he could have maybe been used here or there because your main Mercedes is just hitting everything in sight. Jose's at first base. And you, know, you you have Vaughn in left field, so there's you know there's not a lot of free at bats even for a, an established you know all star as Yasmani Grandal has been in the past. So I, I think he'll be fine. I think it's you know a confluence of of everything, and I think probably the injury did have. I don't think it's affecting his swing. I think it's just you know kind of ramping it up a little bit, a little slower than than usual. Scott Merkin joining us here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Miller along with Fred Hubner. Scotty, I'm looking over at some of the stats for the White Sox rotation, which is right now the best in the American League statistically. They have the best ERA. It's almost a full run better than the second-place team in the American League. So they've been dominant. And crazily enough, Lucas Giolito is the one whose ERA pops right now. Now, Dallas Keuchel talked about his uh, bad inning last night. He's got the 4.65 ERA, but Giolito's got a 5.68 and I think most fans, most White Sox fans, if you ask them and press them, who do you trust the most? I think most would tell you Lucas Giolito. Who do you think, or I guess, whom are you most concerned about in the White Sox rotation uh, as the season unfolds? I don't really think any of them. You know, I mean, uh, I don't think Carlos Rodon is going to carry a .72 ERA the whole year, but Carlos Rodon looks just amazing. I mean, just in control, 
moving his pitch around, moving his pitches around, you know, you know, using different pitches, even throwing the curveball in there every now and then, uh, you know, hitting in the high nineties, playing off that high fastball, and, and what's he have? Uh, Thirty six strikeouts in twenty five innings, and he, I think opposing hitters were seven for eighty two against him in April. So he's been great. Dylan Cease, you know, I, I had a great start against Detroit, and I think there was a little difference attitude-wise because, you know, Dylan Cease has crushed Detroit in his career. He's 6-0 and in his career against Detroit, so he just absolutely owns the Tigers. So it'll be interesting to see his next start against the Reds, who have a very good offense, who have not had a great start, but a good offense overall. But the thing I noticed is that, you know, after the start where he was staked to a 5 nothing lead against Texas and couldn't get through the fourth, he kind of came out of that and looked and talked like a different guy. Like this is going to change now. You know, this, you know, I think he had not gone five innings in any of his April starts up until that point. And forget about the opponent on, uh, what was it? Thursday's doubleheader, right? He looked like he did that last game of the cactus league on Thursday. So I think there was more than just, you know, knocking down Detroit again on Thursday. I think that's changed a little bit, but you know, Cease is one of the guys that hasn't been completely consistent, although he hasn't been bad in the first month. And Giolito, I think, is going to be fine. I think, you know, Giolito had one really bad start, obviously. You know, he gave up, what, seven runs in one-plus inning in Boston. And, you know, you don't get mulligans. You can't take it off your record. But if you do, he's been very solid overall. So I think, you know, that may take a little bit to drop the area down, but I'm sure Lucas isn't worried about that. He's just worried about his next start, which is tomorrow, and moving forward. So I, I think the rotation looks as good as – probably better than people expected because – I don't think people knew completely what to expect from Carlos Rodon, who was non-tendered, then brought back, you know, I guess the last day of January, first day of February on a $3 million one-year free agent deal. And has been, you know, arguably, I mean, Garrett Cole put up great numbers. Shane Bieber put up great numbers. Uh, the young man Means from Baltimore put up great numbers. But Carlos Rodon is right there for pitcher of the month in April. So the rotation and the offense have been tremendous. We just talked to Aaron Bummer on Zoom, and he – you know, laid it out there and said, you know, the, the bullpen dropped a few in the first month, but I think that's going to be good too. So there's no question the talent is there. They just have to kind of, you know, carry it out as the season goes on. I uh, completely agree with you about uh, where they're performing right now. Scott Merkin of MLB.com joining us here on ESPN 1000. Scott, uh, you mentioned, uh, you gave us a lot there on Dylan Cease. We're expecting the, uh, he's going to call in here. We expect the next half hour or so. What is something you think we should ask Dylan Cease right now when we have an opportunity to chat with him? Hate to put you on the spot, but is there any pressing thing that you think we should ask Dylan Cease about? Well, I mean, I think I, you know, I kind of asked him this is you know one of the first questions after he pitched, uh, you know, through his first complete game. And his first thought: It's interesting how the seven inning games are considered complete games and shutouts, but they're not considered no hitters or perfect games, which is kind of weird to me. But very, um, I, I, I love, know, Scott, I, I love that you brought ahead, that up because no, no, that's exactly that was exactly one of the questions on my list. Is you know, Madison Bumgarner doesn't get credit for the no hitter, but he had, but Cease gets his first career C, uh, CG game, shutout. Yeah. You know, so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, he threw a great game. He struck out 90. I think the key, two key things is that I would ask, talk about is, you know, kind of that, I don't know if it's an attitude change or playing off, just stop worrying too much about doing things mechanics-wise and getting everything straight and just going out there and pitching. And that's kind of what he did on Thursday. And also the fact that he had great control on Thursday. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's walked quite a few in his career. And even when he wasn't walking guys, he's pitched in a lot of heavy counts. And he was just, you know, brilliant on Thursday, just attack. I think there was one point where he had thrown like 35 pitches and only five out of the strike zone. So he just had, he had his best stuff that I think I'm, you know, I didn't see the game against Colorado in the Cactus League. And let's face it, those don't, you know, count a ton anyways. But in terms of regular season, I've seen him. I think that was the best stuff he had on Thursday night. 
Has Tony LaRusso or anybody talked about how they've got after Sunday they have three off days in the in eight days? Is that going to change the rotation or change things up a little bit? Because you got Reds Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, then you got another off day Thursday before you go to the Royals for three games, and then I believe there's an off day that Monday right yeah, after the yeah, Royals. There is. So, yes. I, so I think um, you know I think that's one of the reasons, at least as of now, we haven't seen Michael Kopech penciled back in as a starter. You know, he couldn't have pitched till last night, anyways. So he's available today, you know, out of the bullpen behind Lancelin, available tomorrow behind Lucas Giolito. But because if you start adding a six guy in there, then guys are almost pitching like, you know, college days, like the once a week starter or something like that. Sure. You know, I mean, Rodon, when he pitched Thursday, I think the last time he had pitched was the Tuesday before. Not the Tuesday before, two days, obviously, but the Tuesday before that in Cleveland. And, you know, one thing about starting pitches, I remember this is a way back story, but I remember Kenny Williams had talked about in 2006 after the huge amount of high leverage innings the White Sox starters threw in 05 to win the World Series about maybe going to a six-man rotation at the start to kind of lessen you know, the effect a little bit. And not just Kenny, but I think the whole staff thought about that. But starting pitches are such a creature of habit. They're, you know, they're set on their kind of five-day routine. So you know, I, I know he said that it's, you know, it's Rodon and uh, Cease on Tuesday and Wednesday, and I would guess it would just follow in rotation from there. But you know, they, they do you know, make changes every now and then, so we'll see what happens. Uh, you mentioned that Aaron Bummer met the media earlier today. I know he talked about the bullpen at least having the potential to be dominant out there. And I think most Sox fans and most baseball people who watch around the league would agree that the talent is certainly there for this bullpen to be amongst the elite. However, Liam Hendricks, the big money signing, has had a few hiccups along the way. Now, I personally look at the underlying numbers, the fact that he has 17 strikeouts in 10 and a third innings, and his whip is still .77. So I'm not overly concerned. Do you think it was just a little bit of a unfortunate luck where he's gotten bit by a couple of home run balls here early on and nothing to see here? Or do you think there is some cause for concern? Yeah, to me, there's really, you know, it's the case for the bullpen overall. I still think it's a very good bullpen. And I think most of their problems, I know Seattle, they had the rough inning where Matt Foster, you know, where Tony even talked about after that game that he kind of left them in there too long. But aside from that, I think most of it has been kind of like two or three pitch sequences that might have got him, you know, where, you know, Liam Hendricks gave up the home run to Carlos Santana on the ninth against the Royals and the Royals come back to win. He gave up the home run on actually, which was, you know, not a bad pitch to Willie Calhoun. I think it was last Saturday that tied in the ninth. They ended up walking that game off. So that ended up working out their way, but I'm, you know, that was a pitch that I'm I'm guessing, you know, he would have said was not too far off from where he won, and Willie Calhoun went up about shoulder high and hit a home run. And I think that's happened a couple times in Anaheim, and that's been the issue. You haven't seen, like, the bullpen go three or four innings where they just can't get anyone out. But, again, on good teams, really good teams, teams that have championship aspirations, you know, the incremental stuff, the small stuff, means a great deal. It might mean the difference between – getting out of the first round and going on to the ALCS or, you know, going out quickly. And that I'm, I'm projecting well into the future. But I, I think it's early. You know, I agree with Aaron Bummer. I think the bullpen will be fine. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's all you have right now in terms of basis of stats, so it's easy to nitpick and to look at. But I think, you know, you look like June and July and things will be to the normal level they should be. He is Scott Merkin of MajorLeagueBaseball.com, and after that hit, he's quickly pushing his way to a top my Merkin Power Rankings. Although, Scott, I have to uh, inform you that uh, you did 
make note of my omission. And so even after that hit, Scott, you're still number two behind Mama Merkin, okay? But you've, you've, <laughs> you should you've, always you've, be number one. You've moved Agreed. ahead of Jeff Merkin on my power ranking, so congratulations. <laughs> there you go. It's, sure. it's, it's a proud day for our whole, for, for my family, at least, which is me, pretty much. <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks, Scott. We appreciate it. Scott, okay, take care, guys. Scott, Scott Merkin of MLB.com. He covers the White Sox. I'm Jeff Meller, along with Fred Hubner here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Weekly. I should mention, too, um, obviously, for the folks who don't know, Randy Merkin works with us here yes. uh, at ESPN 1000. He is Scott's brother, so that is a bit of an inside joke as to why One, I have made Scott. The reason I brought up the thing about the games, the White Sox, starting Monday, will have five games in eight days. And after that, they play ten games in nine days. So yes. it's crazy. And, and so it's, it, it's got, like, Lance Lynn goes today. Yeah. There's a good chance Lance Lynn will not start again until next Saturday. It's and, the, and look, I haven't really dived into the schedule yeah. here and looked ahead after the off days, but it just seems logical that you have all these off days early. There's going to be a pileup where sure. there's a lot of games in a row. Certainly the rainouts uh, turned into a couple of doubleheaders that yeah, were not one of them next Friday on the White yeah. Sack schedule. But when you or get through Fridays, when you no. get through them, you know, and the fact that the seven inning doubleheader, like I do think, you know, if you can maneuver things well, it could certainly work in your favor if you're a good team. This is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network, 312-332-3776. That's how Michael on the south side got in. He wants to talk about the manager. Hey, Mike, you're on the ESPN 1000. What's up? Yeah, I do think that um, that he cost him three games this year, mm-hmm. LaRusso. Which, which three? Uh, the Seattle game. Sure. All right. And the uh, uh, Angel, LA Angels game. Anaheim. Okay. And the Detroit game. Then they were 14 11. They could be 17 and 8 right now. Could have, would have, shoot him, Michael. No, you're, you, listen, I think it's hard to argue. I do think some people might quibble with, I believe it's the Angels game. What could he have done? You know, you can kind of, in some ways, make the argument where you can see some of the decisions he made. But I think, Michael, the question is like, do you think he's been – he has no responsibility then in some of the victories they've had along the way? You know, you can say, well, he's cost them three games, but then are you completely taking away any responsibility for some of the positions he may have put them in where they end up winning games that it maybe didn't think they, they had, and you give all the credit to the player in that situation? That I guess that's the counterpoint, Michael. Have you been so frustrated with Tony La Russa that you think he is going to get in the way of this team having a postseason berth? No, my thing is this. I'll, I'll give you an uh, example. This mm-hmm. Cleveland, Cleveland team, right? Yep. The one guy you don't want beat, to beat you is Ramirez, You're right? Right. Yeah. You're right about that. And, and it's been twice so far. Twice so far, this guy has beaten the White Sox. And he's the only guy in the lineup can beat you. So why do they keep on letting this guy beat him? Well, it, listen, Michael, uh, thanks for the call. We do appreciate it. Uh, it's a fair point. Uh, Jose Ramirez, he's got a couple home runs against this team. But the, the counterpoint is... You're you're not going to intentionally walk Jose Ramirez or you know give him nothing to hit. It's that fine line between you're right. Like he really is the only bat that you fear in their lineup. And let's hope today against the Indians that he's not the reason they lose in the ball game. But it's there's that fine line line you have to walk as a team and give some trust to your pitchers Uh, that they can go out and execute the plan. Right? Yeah. He was zero for nineteen in that one stretch before he hit that big homer off Lance Lynn. I think it was right. Yes. yes. So he was like zero for nineteen, and you would hoped you would get past that series without him getting a hit. Uh, But he is the one guy you're gonna that's gonna cost you. And and you know what? Great point because the zero for nineteen. 
I don't know if folks remember this, but Jose Ramirez has had stretches where he actually has been like the worst hitter in baseball for yeah. prolonged periods of time. And then when he heats up, he becomes the hottest. And he does. The, the, the one hitter you cannot get out in all of baseball. So he's a very streaky player. And that's a great point. The 0 for 19 when he ended up, when he did end up getting Lance Lynn ended up being something that was hard to necessarily anticipate. He's Fred Hubner. I'm Jeff Meller here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly every Saturday afternoon, two hours prior to pregame. Up next, we owe you a White Sox lineup, and it's also time for Connor Asks. We'll do that on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Huebner. Test your luck in the Queen of Hearts raffle benefiting White Sox charities. In addition to White Weekly prizes, one lucky fan will win 50% of the total progressive jackpot, which is over $100,000 to purchase Queen of Hearts raffle tickets. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Queen of Hearts. All right, Fred, we uh, owe the folks out there a White Sox lineup. So well, you'll like most. You'll like it till the seventh. Oh, yeah, the first seven you'll like. Don't be such a Debbie Downer. Nah, maybe uh, first six. So leading <laughs> off, no surprise. T. A. Tim Anderson at short, hitting second in right field will be Adam Eaton at third base, and hitting third is Yoan Mankata. I always like that hitting third, playing third. It's just yeah. easier. I heard. I heard you do it on pregame a week or so. Linguistically, ago. Yeah. it's easier uh-huh. to say it that way. Jose Abreu will be playing first base and hitting cleanup. Yermin Mercedes is DHing, hitting fifth. Uh, hitting sixth in center field is Luis Robert. Catching today, this is Fred's problem. Uh, Yasmani <laughs> Grandel hitting seventh. Although that's not really a problem. You, or do you just want Zach Collins in the lineup every day? Uh, they're both. Uh, that's your problem. You've got Grandel, who's not hitting, who's a switch hitter. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Zach Collins, who's a left-handed yeah. hitter. So that's the best side for Grandel, really. Exactly. So. Uh, hitting eighth, playing left field will be Jake Lamb. Yeah. And hitting ninth, uh, playing second base today will be Leary Garcia. With- I'd, I'd rather see Leary Garcia in left mm-hmm. and Madrigal at second. Today, yeah. yeah. Leave Madrigal I, in the lineup. I, I, I tend to agree with you on that, but uh, you know how t- today's baseball is. There are no such thing as Iron Man streaks anymore. No, there's they don't, not. They just don't happen. And, uh, of course, as we've talked about already plenty today, Lance Lynn returns from the injured list. He'll be on the mound as the starting pitcher as the White Sox oppose Tristan McKenzie well, for the Indians. And that's the thing, too. Apparently, you know, McKenzie um, left-handers are hitting much better off of him. Uh, their slash line, 333, 455, 704 uh, off, off McKenzie. So, you know, yeah. sometimes, sometimes... And I know it's going to offend you. Sometimes the analytics and the stats get in the way of lineups. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the biggest lefty righty yeah. kind of guy. And um, you know, I, I want to see Nick Nick Madrigal as your second baseman and put him in the lineup 158 games a year. I don't care. I mean, he's my second baseman. I want him to be out there. So yeah, if I we'll I'll tell what you happens. what. I, listen, if I had my druthers, I will agree with you. Um, Larry Garcia gets a lot more at bats than my liking. But yeah. They, um, you know, those are the little things that I try not to let uh, keep me up at night. Personally. No, there's there's so many other things, and uh, we're I'm eager to see Lance Lynn back out there after uh, missing a start or two, and he, uh, actually just one, I think. Right? You know what does keep me up every Friday night? I do. Is the no, no, not you. 
Uh, you bring a you bring a calm over me, Fred. Oh no, I know what it keeps you up. That's not me. Uh, <laughs> I would never keep anybody up. What keeps me up at night is the sweat I go through as I await what Connor McKnight has in store for the segment that we do on every White Sox Weekly called Connor Asks. All right, Sox fans, time for Connor Asks. Use the hashtag Connor Asks or head over to the Twitter handle at ESPN White Sox and get us your answers to this question. Thought we'd get weird with it on a beautiful Saturday afternoon as the White Sox are facing the Indians. What are your superstitions while watching White Sox games? It's okay if they're a little crazy. Everybody can be. Maybe you have to have the remote in a particular hand when the White Sox are hitting so that they score a few runs. Maybe there's a pregame snack that you like to have when you're sitting down for a day of baseball. Maybe it's a superstition that you carried over from your days in Little League or playing softball, something like that. So what are, if you have any, your superstitions when you sit down and watch a White Sox game? We'd love to know. Use the hashtag ConnorAsks or hit us on Twitter at ESPN White Sox. Freddie, any superstitions you go through in your baseball watching? I, I not I didn't have any until this year, and now my superstition is to make sure that my uh, Amazon Echo is is synced up with the uh, the TV broadcast, so I can listen to to uh, the ESPN One Thousand call of the game. Yes, you can yeah. get uh, today. You can get Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson, that's or right. for most games, you get Len Casper and DJ on the uh-huh. call. That's a that's a I that's, don't know if that's, that's my superstition. I don't right even now. know if that's a superstition. I think that's just a routine, but we'll allow it, Fred. Well, that's what I, I'm working on. I don't. Otherwise, have, I, otherwise, I have no others. I don't. Now, I would say this is not uh, an everyday superstition. Whenever the team's playing, but what I do do whenever the White Sox are taking on the Indians is I make an offering to Joe Boo and have a shot of rum. <laughs> that's what I do whenever the White Sox take on the Indians, which means I will have to make sure I squeeze that in yes. before the pregame today. Yes, that would be that would be good. Any rum in particular, or uh, does it matter? Ah, no, nah, not really. Uh, Whatever uh, rum we can yeah, find here. I'm not. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't discriminate yeah. when it comes to rum. Fred. Okay, you got all Rodrigo, rum is good. You got rum. Captain Morgan. You got all different kinds of. Rum. They all work for me. Sure. sure. All right. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. This is White Sox Weekly. If you would like to participate, feel free to give us a call. Of course. We have not mentioned it, but last Sunday, Scott Merkin brought it up that Michael Kopech was finally available yesterday for the first time after his sterling outing. He started and was magnificent, setting a career high with 10 strikeouts uh, through five innings. Was absolutely magnificent, and a lot of folks wonder. We assume this is a sign of things to come, but just how far off into the distance is that time? Well, Jeff Passan had some interesting thoughts with Carmen and Yurko earlier this week. He shared them. We'll let you hear what he had to say. We'll talk about that. And also, expecting to hear from White Sox starting pitcher Dylan Cease between now and when the show wraps up. So make sure you have it locked here, right here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Yeah! Sox fans, single game tickets for May 11th to 16th will go on sale to the general public on Monday, May 3rd. That's this Monday, folks. Be here as your Sox take on the Twins and Royals. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash single game. 
I'm Jeff Meller, along with Fred Hubner here on White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network, talking about all things White Sox as we do every week, two hours prior to pregame on Saturdays. Uh, hoping to hear from Dylan Cease here shortly, uh, possibility here, so we'll keep you apprised of what's going on there. Any, because, I don't, I don't want to get into the Jeff Passon conversation too quickly, Fred. Right. Is there anything on your mind that we haven't hit on because I don't want to completely derail us and have Dylan Cease calling in as we're talking about something and playing some sound bites? Uh, the one thing I had mentioned was, you know, the magical and like seeing him out there and like seeing him play and stuff like that. I'm a little concerned about the uh, Garrett Crochet, um, you know, the IL. We saw what happened to him in the playoffs last year when he went down and stuff like that. But the other thing is, I actually went and saw a no hitter yesterday. Do tell. I saw a no hitter. The White Sox alternate squad out at uh, at Schomburg Boomer Stadium, and they uh, Ronaldo Lopez for five innings, and I think it's Taylor Guerrero for one inning, and uh, they no hit the Cubs alternate squad as they played their third and final uh, exhibition game between the two. And I got to see Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets. And uh, so, yeah, it was nice to see uh, Tim Beckham playing uh, some uh, some ball with them. Ooh, and um, Tim Beckham. Yeah. So uh, it's nice. Still around. Number one or number two overall Number pick? one, I number, think I thought was. he was number yeah. one by the Rays a long time ago. Sebi Savala was uh, the catching and things like that. So you got to see a bunch of guys that, you know, the, that are White Sox, guys that could come up. And probably if Luis Gonzalez wasn't called up, he probably would have been there yesterday. Danny Mendick was there. Um, because he w- he had been sent down earlier, and you know it was it was nice to see them out at Schaumburg, and so it was a good thing. It's uh, nice to see, and Ronaldo Lopez looked great. I was like going to say five that, innings. That's where I'm curious because, unfortunately for Ronaldo Lopez, the truth is that he is going to really have to pitch well at the alternate site and then the minors yeah. whenever they get to that point. He's like their seventh guy now. <laughs> at, at, absolutely right, and so you know Michael Kopech last Sunday was just filthy. Yep. Now, if you want to be a cynic, you could say that the Texas Rangers right now, their lineup is amongst the worst in baseball. But nevertheless, what Kopech brought last Sunday afternoon was just dominance. And I think White Sox fans have to be, I know they're extremely excited. And now the question is tempering that, that excitement with the reality that he is still stretching out and you have so many good guys in your rotation that there's no need right now to rush Michael Kopech and get him back. Yeah, no, there's not. And especially with the way it is right now, there's no need to do it. Uh, with, uh, as I said, the five games in the next eight days, you got it all spread out. Now that may change. When all of a sudden it gets to a situation where you're playing a bunch of games, you got a doubleheader on May 14th against Kansas City, a makeup game, and things like that. Uh, so we'll wait and see how that works out. But Kopech pitched so well, and um, their their entire pitching staff, their last outings basically, Giolito not you know pitched well, pitched deep, but didn't get the victory. But uh, yeah, I'm they're they're starting pitching, not the problem right now. No doubt about it. And so while we await to hear from one of those starting pitchers and Dylan Cease, let's let you hear from Jeff Passan, who was on with Carmen and Yurko earlier this week. I believe it was Wednesday. And listen, Jeff Passan, amongst people who cover MLB insiders who write about baseball, talk about baseball, I think Jeff Passan is uniquely qualified to talk about Kopech and how you treat him because he literally wrote the book. He certainly did. On Tommy John surgery Great called one. The Arm. It yep. is a very good read. Talk to a lot of people inside and outside of baseball. Talk to a lot of pitchers who have gone through the process, recovered, come completely back. Guys who 
um, have not made it all the way back. Daniel Hudson was he's the guy. He's one of the main guys. Was featured prominently yep. in that book. Former White Sox pitcher Daniel, Daniel Hudson. So Jeff Passan knows a thing or two about Tommy John injury and what it's like to come back from it. And look, he said you can't protect pitchers from injury. When you throw a baseball ninety-eight miles per hour or a hundred miles per hour, and you throw it with the filthy stuff that he does, there is always a chance for re-injury. And the idea that we're going to pretend like we have any idea what is likelier or less likely to cause it, there's just no data or evidence to back that up. If there were an organization, gentlemen, that had figured out the pitching arm by now, it would have multiple World Series because it would know exactly who to go after and exactly who to, to stick with. And, look, teams that stay healthy tend to win. Yeah. Doesn't always, you know, it's not always the case, but that usually is the case. So that was Jeff Passan discussing Michael Kopech and the reality that we baby guys yeah. and you worry about, okay, how many pitches can you throw? What can you do here? And he said, look, nobody knows. That's no. the reality of it. We like to pretend like all of these barriers that you put on guys will keep them healthy. But the truth is that we have yet to find the scientific data that proves we know what we're talking about. Yeah, that's why his book was so good, because basically it said it doesn't matter when you throw the guy. Certain guys, the arm's going to go, the way they throw, the little twitches they have, things that don't work out the right way, and uh, that's going to happen. And It's an awesome book. If you're a, pitch, a fan of baseball, you're a fan of uh, you know pitching and want to know more about Tommy John surgery. I mean, you know, Tommy John didn't, you know, was kind of wishes that he didn't have the that underwear man named after him. The yeah. underwear man. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't get arm he, surgery and underwear. He forget that, the fact that he had a pretty good pitching career. He had a very high pitch for the White Sox, Cleveland, a lot of guys. And, and, uh, he was one heck of a pitcher of the Dodgers, pitch for the Dodgers and things like that. He was actually in the Dick Allen trade, if I'm not mistaken, when, uh, he came over from the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that's, you know, but it's a, it's a great book. Check it out. And, uh, you know, Kopech had the surgery. We'll see what happens. And it's hard to find pitchers right now in baseball that haven't had the surgery. You know, there's yeah, so no, many it, of them that have had it. It is certainly a lot more prevalent now than uh, it has ever been because you know when a guy is yeah. all of a sudden he's lost four or five miles an hour on his fastball. You know, lots of times you're like, eh, all right, it might be time. He may, uh, let's go get the MRI. He's got some uh, forearm tightness. It's probably a precursor to him needing Tommy John surgery. And the great thing is that you know, a lot of guys, they do have it down. We've seen so many surgeries now that a lot, a high percentage of players do come back and are very successful after the surgery. Yep. Here's more from Jeff Passan, who joined Carmen and Yurko on Wednesday this week on ESPN 1000, talking about how he would handle Michael Kopech right now. I don't think at this point there should be any rush to put him into the rotation. Now, let, let me be honest, guys. Um, one thing that... I, I, you know, I think I probably differ from what a lot of people's thoughts would be where my mindset is when it comes to this. I'm actually more for guys throwing than they do. Um, you know, I, I feel like uh, arm injuries are not directly attributable to slight overuse. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you even look at the term overuse, it, what are we, like, what's the baseline there? Over what? Over 100 pitches, which is this stupid arbitrary number that we've set on starting pitchers. Like, I just think that the the entire idea 
of guys being overused is almost an anachronism at this point because nobody is anymore. And you have to keep an eye because Michael Kopak has been injured on how his arm is feeling and on the care that you give it and on the treatment in between uh, whether it starts or appearances. But I, I don't think you need to necessarily, you're not pulling a Strasburg with him. Um, you're not going to shut him down. Um, I think you should be judicious, but only to a point. If you're limiting the innings now, it's so you can maximize them when they really count. And, and the bigger question to me, guys, is not so much what role do you put Michael Kopech in right now, it's what role do you need him in come October? Yeah. Because the reality is, unless something goes very, very awry, the White Sox are going to be in the postseason this year. And you're going to have Lucas Giolito throwing there, and you're going to have Lance Lynn throwing there, and presumably you're going to have Dallas Keuchel throwing there. And you wonder, do you need Michael Kopech in that fourth spot, or can you put Carlos Rodon there and use Michael Kopech as an absolute weapon at any time to come in and be a fireman, a longman, or whatever you need him to be. Um, and I'm not going to lie, Freddie, uh, part of the reason I played that soundbite was completely self-serving yeah. because I believe on Tuesday I made the remarks that Kopech is, this is about the best scenario you could hope for if you're somebody who roots for the Sox because Kopech is an absolute, I used the term weapon uh-huh. out of the pen, and then Jeff Passan used it the next day, so of course I was smitten with yeah. myself, and I used the word fireman. Do you like fireman or fireman? Sure. Fireman. Fireman. Fireman, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, there's something about just calling someone a fireman, though, even though it has <laughs> I, nothing to do with it, it's fireman. <laughs> but weird, I like I the know. idea of calling uh, Michael Kopech a fireman, and I visualize him wearing a fireman's hat well, on think, the mound, putting think, out fires with a big hose. Sure. Well, think about him also, because last year, if, if in fact, he was around mm-hmm. and could have pitched when Dane Dunning you know, had the problems in the first inning, you in go the, to Michael in, Kopech. In game three of the yeah, playoffs. of the playoffs. Against, uh, and so, so you're going to have that as he just mentioned, if, if you go to the playoffs, you're going to have your three guys, and you're still going to have Rodon and Cease as four and five. Right, yeah, no, it's, and again, we're uh, expecting to hear from Dylan Cease here at some point before the show wraps up at 2.30 on White Sox Weekly, so keep it locked in because we'll have plenty to talk about the man who just completed his first career complete game shutout, albeit in seven innings. We'll ask him about that. Yeah. But you're right, like, Rodon, I'm sorry, like, Scott Merkin told us about it, I I'm watching Rodon, and after every start, I am convinced that his work with Ethan Katz and now the fact that he's finally healthy, healthy. I think yes. he's unlocked it. I think so he's, do I. he's giving you everything you ever expected he could be as the number three overall pick in the draft. And you have yourself a guy who, as long as he is healthy, I think he's going to be a legit ace for this team. Yeah. And when he's bringing it at 96, 97 in the ninth in the it's ninth increasing. Inning, in the it's going inning. up. Oh, yeah. He, he just, he's throwing, I saw, he, he threw off speed at 77. Next pitch was a high strike at 97. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on. There's no wonder they're not hitting him right now. It's great to see with the four and five starters with Rodon and Cease. Yeah, so like right now, the way the rotation lines up for the White Sox, Dallas Keuchel better not have any more blow-up innings. No. Because he may be the guy who gets squeezed out of the rotation 
and a, a four man rotation if they're yeah. uh, playing in a uh, you know a seven game set in the playoffs as we all hope they will. That could happen. That could certainly happen. He's Fred Hubner. I'm Jeff Miller. This is White Sox Weekly. As we mentioned, we are expecting to hear from Dylan Cease coming up here. We will continue to talk White Sox baseball with you ahead of a first pitch, which gets going at 3.05 today. White Sox and Indians at Guarantee Rate Field. Let me mention, Sox fans, the Chicago Sports Depot is back for the season. Get the latest team gear to rep all season long. Be sure to follow the at White Sox store on Instagram for series sales and more. For store hours and information, visit WhiteSox.com slash depot. I'm Jeff Meller. He's Fred Huebner. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Yes! Yes! Hell yes! Sox fans, we have the perfect space for you and your group if you have a big group. Learn more about private party areas and start planning your outing to the ballpark. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. I'm going to have to do that, Fred. I was just mentioning to you during the break that uh, the wife was telling me yesterday as we were driving out to a my son's soccer game that uh, we should get some uh, socks tickets. Yeah. For his birthday and my son and daughter, twins, both born on June 15th. I said, you know what? That's a great idea. We'll bring some friends along with us. And I'm looking at it and the uh, Tampa Bay Rays are in town. So I have uh, tentatively penciled in the Tampa Bay Rays series for a little uh, party outing for my son and some of his friends. So that is what I'm going to try and do here. This is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner taking you up to pregame, which begins at 2.30. And, of course, we've got White Sox and Indians at 3.05. Lance Lynn makes his return to the mound from the injured list. He'll be opposed by Tristan McKenzie, lefty for the Indians, a hard-throwing left-hander at that. But he's a lefty. And the White Sox do pretty well, for the most part, against lefties. They have a pretty good history against lefties over the last year or so, Fred, Uh I would say. Um, and so we are I'm sure he's a lefty. Why would because Lamb's Lamb's a uh, left-handed hitter? So is Larry Garcia. Are you, are you confusing me now? I yeah. swear, Fred, you're throwing me off. You I said lefty it, earlier, and this is one of those things where I'm going to have to now double check. Yeah, this. I'm pretty sure because otherwise Lamb wouldn't be playing against. Did I a lefty, say lefty? Would he? All right. Yeah. Someone said lefty early in the show, and now you've got me completely. Yeah, no, it confused. wasn't me. He's a righty. Yeah. Are you sure it wasn't you? No. I don't know. No. All right. I, I I have no idea if he. I'm going to blame you, but it was. You're going to say it was me. So yeah. Just I wouldn't know which he throws. It's a good. Go ahead. Yeah, but that's why you would have Lamb in and yeah, also I don't know Larry why I Garcia. Said that. I, I was at the ballpark when he pitched earlier this year, and for some reason, because uh, we re- we'd really be aggravated with Tony Larusa if he bent. Yeah, that was uh, that again. was silly on my part, and, and yeah. I knew I knew better. I don't know why I went. No, there. what so, I did was I gave that left-handed hitters. That's what. You that's did. what I said. I said it so wrong. That's, that's why it's your fault and not my fault. Yeah. You know whose fault it's not, though, Fred. Yeah. You know whose fault it's not. Actually, I didn't say it wrong. I said left-handed hitters against McKenzie. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. You know whose fault it's not. Who's? It's not Dylan Cease's fault. I'll uh, tell you that. No, nothing's his fault after this last outing. Uh, Dylan Cease goes seven shutout innings and absolutely shoved against the Tigers on Thursday. Gets the CG shutouts. And Dylan joins us now here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Miller along with Fred Hubner. Dylan, I have to uh, tell you congrats on the brilliant performance on Thursday. What was different? What was working for you? Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, honestly, when it comes down to it, it was just throwing strikes. Um, 
you know, filling up the zone and, uh, you know, being able, being able to get ahead and, and throw strikes. Now you talk about throwing strikes. I'm sitting here looking at your game log. In the first four outings, you had three walks in each of them. Yep. Uh, and none against Detroit. So it, it comes down to that. It's simple as that, isn't it? It is. I mean, it, if in this league, if you if you put hitters and, and good hitters counts, uh, and, you, and you know you got to work from a hole, it's just it's just making things so much harder than they need to be. So um, the name of the game is is throwing strikes and getting ahead. The the one thing when I'm sitting there watching you pitch a lot of times, as I'm sitting on the couch watching, and obviously I, all I'm doing is yelling at the TV. But sometimes <laughs> it seems like you get too deep in counts to certain guys, and you end up throwing more pitches than you need to throw. Uh, obviously, when you go out there, your your is your your goal isn't to get them out as quickly as possible each at bat, or is it? What exactly when a guy comes to the plate? What's your goal facing each and individual each individual hitter? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, obviously hitter to hitter, we're going to have a different plan on, on what we want to attack with. But, um, I mean, for me, it's just filling up the zone right now. Okay. Um, and it's, it's really as simple as that. We're talking with Dylan Cease here on White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Dylan, give me, uh, forgive me, we need to do a little radio uh, stuff here for 10 seconds. Let's okay. pause 10 seconds for our stations to identify themselves on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. The home of the White Sox is also the home of Waddle and Sylvie. Afternoons from 2 to 6. This is WMVP Chicago, ESPN 1000. Got to take care of the old legal ID on radio. (laughs) We are talking with Dylan Cease here on ESPN 1000. All right, Dylan. So tell me, you have the double header on Thursday and you're rolling. Did you have a little extra oomph in like the fifth and sixth inning, knowing that you're, you're you're you know you you finished it off in 91 pitches? Are you thinking to yourself, man, with seven innings, this is easy. I can complete this one no problem. Did you have that little extra oomph, knowing that uh, it was only a seven inning affair? Yeah, I mean, uh, it definitely it definitely made it feel like it was more in reach. And really, after the first inning, um, I think I threw 13 or 14 strikes in one ball. I, really, from the first, I, I felt like I was in a good rhythm and groove. So. Um, you know, that was, that was kind of in my head, really just let's keep, let's keep throwing strikes and just keep, keep going as deep as we can. Okay. Now I'm looking here at your career stats. Did you volunteer to pitch both games of the doubleheader against Detroit? Cause I see you're six and zero against the Tigers. <laughs> what is it against Detroit that you just seem to have their number? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It just might be one of those things, uh, you know, maybe they don't see me well or, uh, you know, I, I bring my A game on those days, so uh, you know I, uh, I'm not sure what it is, but I'd, I'd like to make it. I'd like to spread it out to some other teams too. <laughs> there you go. I think we all. Uh, it, sure. And you know what? I, I'm sure that's going to come. What have you uh, done with Ethan Katz? Has he? How's the working yeah. relationship been with you? You mentioned you know the deception. Maybe the Tigers don't see you well. Do you yeah. feel like you and him are on a uh, good page together, working and uh, what what he's been able to help unlock for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, really even from, from day one when he got hired, he he called me and he kind of gave me the plan and, and told me what he saw with me. And so we kind of um, we kind of just rebuilt myself, like started with mechanics, um, did the core velocity belt and, and different drills to get my body moving right. And then it kind of started transitioning to, like, how we shape in pitches. And now it's, like, the next phase of, like, okay, we don't have to worry about mechanics. We don't have to worry about any of that. Now how are we going to attack guys? So... I mean, he's been he's been incredible to work with, and I I owe him a lot for um you know for for what he's been able to do with me. The the White Sox have had pitchers like uh like you 
over the years. There's a couple guys, and the reason I'm saying this, uh, John Garland used to be a guy that pitched for the White Sox, and when he was on the mound, he had no expression on his face, uh, <laughs> doing well, doing not well. But then you've got a guy in your bullpen in Liam Hendricks who, if he's yeah. not doing well, we can hear it. <laughs> Everybody can hear it in the stadium yeah. and on TV. Did it take you a while, or have you always been that way, that calm demeanor on the hill? Oh, I've, I've always been that way. I, honestly, they need to they need to mic Liam up uh, more <laughs> often. It, it'd be pretty hilarious. But no, I've always kind of been a little bit more stoic, and um, I just don't like I don't like showing the team anything. Like I don't want them to know what I'm thinking, if I'm feeling good, if I'm feeling bad. Um, I, I you know I want them I want them to kind of just think I'm a machine up there, you know, trying to attack them. Dylan Cease joining us here on White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. Jeff Miller along with Brett Huebner. All right, Dylan, so you were uh, magnificent on Thursday. Uh, the White Sox team ERA for starters now is tops in the American League, almost a full run better than the uh, closest competitor here. I mean, I have to ask you, this rotation, the way you guys look, it's uh, you know it's one month in, but, man, it, there's no weak spots. I have. Is there somebody on the rotation who is a good sounding board for you, who you maybe go to advice? You got Lance Lynn, you got Lucas Giolito, yeah. you got Dallas Keuchel, who's won a Cy Young and has been here for a yeah. long time, but you've also got Carlos Rodon, who's gone through a lot, and he's shown us in the first month here that he seems to have figured it out. Is there anyone yeah. in particular amongst your rotation mates who you have a really good uh, relationship with as a good sounding board? Oh, I mean... Uh- at the end of the day, all of them. I mean, um, you know, at some point or another, I've talked to all of them about anything as, as little as, hey, you know, what are you feeling when you get on the mound or what are you aiming at? Little things like that. But, um, you know, they've, they've all kind of given me some advice and they've all listened to me and, and um, you know, have helped me in that way. So, really, I, I owe a lot because Lance talked to me after my game against the Rangers and um, kind of helped put some things into perspective. So, just knowing that knowing that I got eyes on me with with experience like that, and I don't have to do it all by myself, is is definitely a good feeling. The one thing, the last game we talked about it going the going the distance in the seven inning game. Before that, it was four and two thirds, four and two thirds, mm-hmm. four and two thirds, three and a th- I, I, I I'm sorry, I'm saying them, I and mean, no, you, uh, you know them. I mean, oh yeah, but I, and, I know. I, yeah, as I'm yeah. as we're sitting there, it, it you know obviously every fan's going. We, we got to get five. We got to get six out of yeah. our starter. That obviously harped on you more than anybody, right? Yeah, I mean, no, I. You know, I uh, I get tagged in some stuff, and I see uh, I see what everyone's thinking. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 definitely always trying to go as deep as I can. I mean, that's always the goal. That's all right. Don't worry, because uh, we talk for a living, Lance, and so we don't have any physical activity, and we get tagged whenever we say stupid things, and we don't have a, an actual. Well, and you just called him Lance too. Lance, so. exactly. He said Lance Lynn. See, perfect. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. I'm, there you I'm go. Get tagged there in you that. go. Uh, you mentioning Lance Lynn helping you out there. But Dylan Cease joining us here on ESPN 1000. I'll get tagged for that, for yeah. being an idiot. But that's okay. I'll take it. Uh, just move on. I remember, Dylan, when the White Sox traded for you, along with Eloy Jimenez, they traded Jose Quintana. And mm-hmm. Rick Sutcliffe, who was a, a weekly contributor on the station for a long time, was devastated that the Cubs actually <laughs> traded you away. He had, He's like... Dylan Cease, I'm telling you, this kid is going to be absolutely brilliant when he figures it out and gets to the majors. And I'm just curious what kind of relationship you had with Rick Sutcliffe. Do you still keep in touch with him? Because let me tell you, like every White Sox fan was ecstatic about the White Sox landing Eloy Jimenez. But the fact that Rick Sutcliffe was devastated that the Cubs included you in the deal. I'm just curious what kind of relationship you had with him. Yeah, I was. Uh, I ended up being the throw with Eloy. But um, <laughs> yeah, he, he was one of those where... I mean, he he was there at the beginning when I mean I didn't know I didn't know very much at all about pitching. So 
he got to see me in my rawest, rawest form. Um, and I, I haven't talked to him a little bit, but I'd love to love to catch up with him. But yeah, he was uh, he was able to see you know probably see the glimpses of just raw um, raw ability back in the day when I was you know I mean I was a teenager at the time. So um, but yeah, I mean that that means a lot coming from somebody like that. When when we sit here talking on radio, we always have a tendency to ask silly questions at time, and this might be one of the sillier ones. But how 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 much easier does it make when you got an offense like you have, and they put numbers up for you that for you to go on out there and try and shut them down the next inning? Yeah, I mean it it, it just gives you a little bit of room to breathe. You know, it's like it's one of those where if you've got a if you've got a seven run lead, um, and it's you know the fifth inning is coming around. You know, if you get if you let a guy on or two guys on, you know maybe maybe you get a little bit bigger leash. So um, it, it really just gives you a little bit more room to operate um, at, at the end of the day. Dylan Cease joining us here on ESPN One Thousand. Dylan, you I talked about how you had the complete game shutout. Now mm-hmm. about a week or so ago, Madison Bumgarner goes out, completes seven hitless innings, but does not get credit for the no hitter. Where does Dylan Cease, starting pitcher? side on the debates of whether or not that uh, constitutes a no-hitter, knowing, of course, Man. that you saw Carlos Rodon have a near-perfect game spoiled in the ninth. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, those those last six outs, I, I've never been in that situation, but those those have to be the toughest ones to get. Um, man, that's tough because, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, if MLB is going to make the game seven innings, mm-hmm. it seems... It seems a little bit unfair not to reward somebody who who did he did his job, you know. I mean, he didn't have the opportunity to go out for the eighth and the ninth. So, um, I mean, I'd, I'd lean more towards it counting, but uh, those six outs definitely definitely are are not easy to get. So, I, I understand why the rule is the way it is. There, there's a lot of rule changes that are up there. There are people talking about eliminating the shift and things like that. They say all these things are benefiting mm-hmm. the pitchers and not the hitters. Now one of the latest ones is in one of the leagues they're going to try and move the, the rubber back a foot. Mm-hmm. What what would that do to you guys as pitchers to to be throwing from 62 feet 6 inches instead of 6 that, or 61 feet 6 inches instead of 60? That would be miserable. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm vetoing that one every day of the yeah. week. Um, I mean, we'd have to. I'd assume we'd probably have to recalibrate our mechanics, and I mean, who knows, like arm health-wise, what that would do to you. So, I mean, I, I hope that one doesn't doesn't end up sticking. Yeah, I think. Don't worry, they uh, they're going to test that out, and uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's going to be a hard one for them to actually put into play. But you know, they like to uh, test things out first and maybe throw it into the uh, public lexicon to let everyone talk mm-hmm. about. Dylan, thanks so much for the time today. We appreciate it. Go out yeah. and uh, shove in your next start just like you did on Thursday. We will be watching. We appreciate your time today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, that Dylan. is Dylan Cease of the White Sox here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network, White Sox Weekly, every Saturday for two hours before pregame, taking you right up to pregame and White Sox first pitch today. We've got a 305 first pitch. Lance Lynn against righty Tristan McKenzie. The Sox and Indians today. Uh, Fred Hubner, Jeff Meller taking you up until pregame here on ESPN 1000. White Sox now. This is White Sox Weekly. Sox fans, celebrate life's special moments with a personalized scoreboard message on the right field video board during home games. Perfect for birthdays, anniversaries, and more. All proceeds benefit White Sox charities. 
Visit whitesocks.com slash scoreboard to purchase your message today. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner here on White Sox Weekly. ESPN 1000, White Sox Network, just had a fun conversation with Dylan Cease. How about what Dylan Cease saying, yeah, I was the throw-in in the uh, Eli Jimenez deal? I'm telling you, man, <laughs> I remember vividly how rocked yeah. Rick Sutcliffe was. He yep. joined Waddle and Sylvie Weekly, and at that time, he was devastated that the White Sox decided to, I'm sorry, that the Cubs decided to include Dylan Cease in that deal yeah. because, listen, he knew that you wanted, at the time, when the White Sox were trading away Jose Quintana, that they were going to get a haul because Quintana, up to that point, had been one of the best pitchers. He was always giving you quality starts, you know, after quality, quality starts. Start. Inning eater. Yeah. Uh, so guy that, they needed down the stretch. And yeah. and we he was signed to a very yes. team-friendly deal, so that made him all the more lucrative on the trade market, which is why the White Sox were able to command such a haul for him in Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. And Sutcliffe, I'm telling you, was devastated that the Cubs decided to include Cease in that deal. I can only imagine what this club would have been off to, with the start they would have been off to in the first month of the season if, in fact, Eloy Jimenez didn't get hurt. The only thing that we wonder, and we've talked about this a couple times already, is if Eloy was there, would oh, would your uh, main Mercedes have been there? It, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, you say silver lining, but the reality is that I don't think your main, your main Mercedes gets the opportunities without Eloy healthy. And, you know, it is in, in a lot of ways a, a bit of a hidden blessing because yeah. Mercedes has been the White Sox best hitter undeniably for the first month of the season. And I've talked about it now for weeks that I truly believe you know, he's not, look, of course, he's not going to hit 400. We all know that. Hitters go through slumps. He's at 415 right now, and, you know, with five homers and 16 RBIs. Mm-hmm. But he's but, got 34 hits, which is 10 more, uh, not 10 more, um, six more than anybody else in the Sox, and uh, that's Luis Robert, who I got to give it to because I thought Robert would struggle coming in, and he hasn't. He's, he's been really good. Yeah. Absolutely. He's been really good, too. But, no, Mercedes, I, I think he's got the opportunity. I think he'll be somebody who hits close 285, 300 when the yeah. year is all said and done. Because, like, you've talked about the two-strike approach multiple times. Oh, my Lord. He brings yeah. that. You know, he's, you know, when when betting average is down across baseball, your main, uh, your main Mercedes is one of the few players who has the ability to still make contact and go to all fields. And it's a unique skill that not many players have in today's brand of baseball. No. And the White Sox are truly fortunate, you know, in some ways that they were able to uncover him and you know un, you know unfortunately it it only i really th- think it only came about because of Eloy Jimenez's injury yeah and because we Andrew Vaughn was penciled in to be the DH mm-hmm. he was the DH so you would not have had your mean Mercedes and he would have never gotten the opportunity and would you, have, you hate to say it but would it would have been awkward uh, if Tony Larusa was pinch hitting for Andrew Vaughn the DH <laughs> Yeah, uh, let's let's go on out to uh, Lakeshore Drive and say good afternoon to Gideon, who is on ESPN One Thousand White Sox Network. What's up, Gideon? Hey, Jeff and Fred, you guys are two of my favorite people on this station because you're both White Sox. Ah, uh, Gideon, you're one of our favorite <laughs> callers. We appreciate it, my man. Thank you. So I was at the doubleheader on Thursday, and seeing Cease pitch in his warm-up pitches, just the warm-up pitches when he was on the mound right before the game, I could tell he was spot on. Mm-hmm. Like, he looked confident. He looked really good pitching. And I turned to my fiancé and I was like, he could pitch, like, a complete game. He could pitch a, a great game today. And what do you know, he did 
pitch a complete game shutout. The the other thing I wanted to say actually about the seven inning games, it feels so odd when the game ends. Like when the game ends, you're like, wait, we didn't sing the the seventh inning stretch. We, <laughs> we like we didn't finish the game, but sure. but it ended. <laughs> so it was kind of odd. Gideon, um, let me ask you, since yeah. you were there, this is perfect because it was noted on the broadcast. You were there as the Chicago Bears were dra- drafting Justin Fields. Could you feel the excitement at Guaranteed Rate Field after people started finding out, you know, whether they were checking their phones or, or just yeah. listening to people in the stands say, hey, the Bears traded up and got Justin Fields. Could you feel the excitement in the stadium? Yeah, so I looked at my phone, like, the basically two minutes after the pick. Like, I saw... The next team was on the clock, and I saw that we drafted Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I started hearing, like, cheers coming from around the stadium. And it didn't make sense to me why there were cheers coming. And then I was like, oh, everyone else is realizing we dra- we drafted Justin Fields. Sure. So you could hear cheers coming. Um, I don't think most people knew why, but the people <laughs> who knew why... We're excited, Very cool. and yep. you could sense that. Yeah. Yep, there's Very no cool. doubt. Gideon, Gideon. Uh, appreciate the call, my man. Thanks, Gideon. Yeah, of it's... have a good Sunday. Go Sox. And, yes, yeah, Sunday and Saturday. We'll do both. We, I'll, I'll try to have a good Sunday. You have a good Saturday. Okay. Okay. My a... Saturday, by the time I get home, I'm going to watch White Sox baseball. There you go. And, That's uh, the best way to spend yeah, a Saturday. Yeah. Watch it and listen to listen to the call. Mm-hmm. Of Connor and uh, DJ. There you go. I do it all. Thank. I got what I got the Amazon Echo right next to the TV. Mm-hmm. Just syncing it up is a little bit, you know. Yeah, you got. It. You do have to pause the uh, television broadcast for about ten, twelve yeah. seconds. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still trying to find the perfect way to do it. If it's, you know, I, I do you have a trick? Because like, is it easiest after? Like, I find like foul balls or contact. Usually after a pitch, uh-huh. if I pause it, but if I pause it too long, it goes back a split second, so it screws yes. it up even more yes. on the DVR. So you have to pause it, and but and then as soon as you can possibly do it, let it up. And uh, usually, you give it. You can even have it when the pe- catcher is ready to throw it back. Sure. You can okay. have you you can't have it perfect. No, it's no. almost well, impossible. You can get it you can pretty, get pretty close. You can get it close to the point yeah. where you can figure out you and, and it's it's a it's a pleasurable experience. But then you can't you can never ever throughout the course of the game rewind because then you got to do it again. Well, <laughs> I know yeah. it just takes a little while. Eh, these are these are tough problems in this day. And they age. are we, in this day and age. We have to uh, yeah. the, the burdens we have to bear. Mm-hmm. He's Fred Hubner. I'm Jeff Meller again uh, here with you every Saturday for two hours on White Sox Weekly. Prior to the White Sox pregame show on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network, we're here with you again every Saturday afternoon for two hours. And uh, today we've got White Sox and Indians. Pregame begins at 2.30. So uh, we talked about Justin Fields there. He was actually on the station, ESPN 1000, with Waddle and Sylvie yesterday. Uh And, Fred, you know what? If you're going to be the franchise quarterback, you're going to get the question, which baseball team do you cheer for? Okay. The moment of truth. We share what his answer was next on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Yes! Yes! Hell yes! Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. Test your luck in the Queen of Hearts raffle benefiting 
White Sox Charities. In addition to weekly prizes, one lucky fan will win 50% of the total progressive jackpot, which is over $100,000. To purchase Queen of Hearts raffle tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash Queen of Hearts. All right, Fred. I mentioned it. Justin Fields was on ESPN 1000 with Waddle and Sylvie yesterday. And sure enough, the new Bears quarterback was asked, hey, it's a two-baseball-team town. Where do you fall? How about the scouting report on Justin Fields, the shortstop? Ooh, uh, right now or back back in the day? Back in the day when I saw some highlights, Justin, and you look smooth. Yeah, I mean, I would say I was, you know, definitely a, a, a better than average baseball player, of course. You know, I've been playing baseball uh, since I was like four. So, I mean, baseball has always kind of been in my life. But, you know, uh, I've bat leadoff, so, you know, kind of fast. We're running around the base and uh, definitely a solid shortstop. So I was definitely a pretty good baseball player for sure. Cubs or Sox? Ooh. I'm going to go with. There's a big one, Justin. I'm going to go with White Cubs, so I'm. Definitely uh, half and a half right now. Oh, there you go. That's a, that, see, you're, that's smart. That is absolutely sure. smart. Playing the role of politician. There you go. The Bears' new starting quarterback, Justin Fields, who joined Waddle and Sylvie yesterday on ESPN 1000. I'll tell you what. The good news, Sox fans, is that Justin Fields is arriving just in time because I have to believe, you know what? If you're a fan of winning baseball, yes. the next couple, uh, three to four years, five years, look Pretty good on the south side, so yeah. I have a pretty strong inkling that the White Sox play on the field will do a good job of swaying him. Yeah, it's nice when you have a, right side. a nice top three in your rotation, but then when you've got Cease and Rodon also at four and five, not too shabby to have. And I know Rodon's just a, the one year deal, but uh, he's he's making money as he goes along. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Carlos Rodon had the one year deal. I'm so glad that. Uh, they were able to circle back and get a deal done and bring him back. And I, I think I mentioned it after the no-hitter. Fred is, I was anxiously watching it, thinking to myself, how are they going to figure out a deal to bring him back on a long-term deal? Sure. Would, oh, he looks so amazing yeah. every time he goes out there. As a Sox fan, when Dylan Cease looks as good as he did on Thursday night, we talked to him earlier, and he told us all about some of the changes he's he's made. It's been uh you know, a very fun watch. Michael Kopech last Sunday with the occasional yeah. spot start has been brilliant, you know. And then you factor in what you just said, Carlos Rodon. Every time the White Sox are playing baseball, they're a fun team to watch. Well, and this, it's weird for us to say because we usually, every time he takes the hill, we've seen good outings. But now the entire rotation, you need to get Giolito right. He, he's he's actually had a couple of games where, you know, not the Lucas Gilolito we expected to see. And uh, he gets to start on Sunday, Lance Lynn today. But, uh, yeah, we need to get him right against a, a Cleveland team tomorrow, which, uh, you know, get past the Jose Ramirez and you should be okay. But, uh, yeah, it's a big game for Gilolito tomorrow. So a big couple of games before they have a day off and then go to Cincinnati for a couple of games. They don't have to worry about giving up Joey Votto's 300th. He got that last night. Well, yes, yes. That is certainly no longer a concern. The bigger question will be, can you beat the Reds when you actually get them? But first things first, take care of business against the Indians the next couple of days. You said that Giolito hopefully can get himself right on Sunday. Today, Lance Lynn returns from the injured list. We'll talk a lot about him on the pregame show coming up here in a few short minutes. And, you know, 
the uh, the chance. Look, every time he's gone out there, he's been really good. It was a bit surprising, I think, when he did land on the injured list because he was rolling along right. so so well. Yeah. Um. But the strained right trapezius looks to be all good, and he is set to return to the mound today as the White Sox will be taking on the Indians. Yeah, and uh, as you know, see what see what Lance Lynn can do. Go deep in the games. That would be nice. Uh, the bullpen got used a little bit last night, not too too bad. Uh, so see, let's see what he can do. It'd be a nice, a nice warm day. You know, loosen up and throw some pitches. And if uh, because he is returning from the injured list, and he is, they want to be cautious with him. Michael Kopech will be available today. There you go. So uh, you know, he obviously wasn't for a few days after that great performance, but he'll be available out of the pen if they need him. So uh, sets up well for the White Sox. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thank you, Fred. Appreciate you as always. Always fun. Thanks to Sean Davis and Tyler Aki for helping us out behind the scenes. Also, of course, Ryan McGuire, the executive producer of White Sox Weekly. Thanks to him. Thanks to Dylan Cease and Scott Merkin for joining us as well. I'm Jeff Meller. This has been White Sox Weekly. Stick around. White Sox pregame show coming up in two short minutes here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network.